I'm thankful for that little transition time because I was, I was growing quite concerned during the happy song, how I was going to make a hard right turn into talking about pain. Uh, so that created a nice little opening for me, um, but thank you. Yeah, Scott and Shannon for your time. Through human efforts of gospel-centered work and relationships, God cares for his people. Through human efforts of gospel-centered work and relationships, God cares for his people. And part of this, so that's, that's my, my kind of entry idea that hopefully will come together as we go through our passage today. And maybe a title um, summarizing a slightly different aspect of this is that pain and blessing in human relationships is what God uses also to build up his people. Pain and blessing of human relationships, through that God builds up his people. So we're continuing in Acts and if you can recall, I think it was last week when Joel had the map up of the Mediterranean region where Paul and his disciples were sailing and trotting around, um, doing various things like planting churches and visiting churches that had previously been planted. Uh, we're continuing on with that. And so this is in... Uh, chapter 20 of the book of Acts, uh, starting in verse 17. And it's really going to focus on the uh, idea that Paul is close to Ephesus, but he doesn't want to go there because he's kind of set his face towards going to Jerusalem. And then after that, he's going to be sent on to Rome. So he doesn't want to stop in Ephesus. So rather what he does is he summons for the elders of the church in Ephesus to come and to visit him and to meet with him. And so he kind of gives this long last um, goodbye and farewell message to the Ephesian church, but more directly through the elders of the Ephesian church. And so it's it's kind of a unique situation, actually. I, I, I didn't look closely, but I, I don't think there's another section like this in Paul's writings where he kind of uh, focuses on this, this group of people uh, to give this long farewell address um, goodbye. And it's quite dramatic. Uh, I was struck by how dramatic it is. And so hopefully we'll see that. But yeah, it's a, it's a long goodbye. He's going around, he's saying goodbye to people because... You know, in that day and age, you didn't just, um, you know, hop on a plane and go visit your, your, your people somewhere. Paul had a very deep relationship with the Ephesian church. And I don't, I don't have time to read through all the passages, so we're just going to stop and look at a couple things. But that's a, that's a big idea. Paul's, Paul, Paul had a very deep relationship with this Ephesian church. He spent a lot of time with them. In fact... He lived among them for three years. Uh, so we read that in verse 31 of chapter 2. 
So he knew these Christians, these believers in Ephesus very well. He says in verse 18, I was with you the whole time I was in Asia. So I think even as he traveled around the continent of Asia a little bit in that region, that maybe the Ephesian elders, a lot of them probably traveled with him. So you get this picture of this band of disciples living together, eating together, praying together, worshiping together, teaching together, facing confrontations and challenges together. And while he was in Ephesus, presumably, you know, he would, he would stay at their, their house, someone's house. And they would gather for, for teachings. We read, uh, I think, was it last week when the guy fell out of the, the window? Because Paul was teaching so long, right? So just imagine that that wasn't probably an isolated event. Hopefully not people falling out of windows and dying. But the idea that Paul was gathering a bunch of people to teach. And to share time together. So he knew them well and they supported him. He says in his suffering for the gospel. As he was going around preaching and teaching about Christ. And Paul's preaching and his teaching to and for the church in Ephesus, apparently it included some hard things to talk about. Uh, so he says things like in verse 20, I, I, I told you what was profitable for you. And I, I did not avoid, or your, your translation might say, I did not shrink back. Um, I was not timid about something along those lines. I did not avoid the whole plan of God. And then this, this word for avoid there or shrink back, it's also the word that's used in 27. So he wants to make that point clear. There's probably some underlying accusations that certain people are making about Paul. And he's kind of trying to defend himself and say, you know, you, you know me. You've seen what I've done. I don't, I don't need to defend myself, you know, but I will. But you guys know me and I know you. His conversation and his relationship with them was maybe a little bit controversial at some times. Maybe he had to confront them due to sin. We don't get the full picture. We can see hints and glimpses of this maybe. It might have concerned the fact that they all suffered some form of persecution together as this fledgling little church in this very sort of uh, milieu of various cultures and religions and these christians are very strange they do very strange things they don't call caesar lord they're kind of like the jews but they're different these people were not readily accepted for another couple hundred years in culture so they probably experienced hardship and persecution together so there, there was this burden that they all felt and shared one with another. And if you go read the letter to the Ephesians, it was, um, you get some more insight into this relationship. It doesn't deal directly with all of this stuff, but it contains some of these uncomfortable matters about which Paul at some point later on discussed with them and taught them about the ethical expression of Christian life in this very confusing and hostile environment. He talked about sexual relationships. 
He talked about their, their household relationships, how they ought to function. Again, this is in the letter to the Ephesians. He talked about the Jew and the Gentile relationships, two people that could not understand each other less. And two people that had uh, so many grievances, one against the other, that it was just like you, you walk into the room and there's just natural hostility. He, he talked about these things. He kind of pulled them apart and said, we've got to deal with it. We've got to f- confront this. He talked about slave and master relationships. And all of these uh, sort of teachings that he gave about these relationships, particularly around slaves and masters and males and females, Jews and Gentiles, it was revolutionary stuff that he was teaching. It probably seems a little bizarre to us to, to think about that, but in this day and in this concept, clearly what he was talking about was almost unheard of. Especially, especially the slave-master and male-female relationships. What they say, he says in verse 25 to, to these Ephesians, he says, you won't see me again. You won't see me again. Like, this is not someone that you know, just spent an hour a week with him. He lived with them. He lived among them. He was enmeshed in their lives. He probably, you know, experienced the death of children with this group of people. He experienced the death of, of, of loved elderly people. He experienced all the, like, celebrations of life for, for three years. He lived with them, worshipped with them, struggled, prayed with them. And they supported him. He makes clear, you supported me in my suffering for the gospel. And I think, I think it's fair to say, I don't know for sure. Few of us have probably ever, ever experienced anything kind of like that. Maybe we've touched on it here or there. So I've kind of struggled to kind of come up with some analogies. Has anyone seen or watched, it's, it's a little bit older now, but the Band of Brothers? Anyone? Yeah. So you get that. They just have this connection, right, with each other. It's, it's the 101st Airborne Division during World War II. And their uh, enterprises of, you know, landing into Europe and all that. But the, the, the psychotic sort of absurd situations that they had to deal with and how it, it, it knit them together, right, to where they were fighting to keep you know, their brother alive next to them. That was their ultimate cause, was to look out for their brother and to serve their brother. doesn't mean they had, like, perfectly harmonious relationships. Not at all, right? But so few of us have ever experienced anything like this. So just keep keep that in mind. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later. Paul had this very deep relationship, okay? That's the point with this church. The second point is there's a very human aspect to this. Absolutely. It was, it was riddled, I think, if we can just, with the slightest bit of imagination, it was riddled with humanity, this, this relationship that he had with his church. But I think also uh, it's helpful to see that there was a, there's a deeper truth. Paul was the means, that deeper truth is that Paul was the means by which God was providing care for these people. He was the means by which God was providing care for these people. After all, this was God's church. 
Paul says these things. The Holy, the Holy Spirit appointed. Paul didn't appoint it. The Holy Spirit appointed overseers for them. In verse 28, he says, to shepherd and to feed them. He refers to this is the church that, that God purchased with his own blood. And that's an interesting phrase, and I challenge you to spend some time thinking or at least trying to understand what that means. But the ownership of this church is squarely God's ownership of the church. It's not Paul's church. These are not Paul's people, right, that he birthed. You get this imagery of the shepherd, um, of the feeding, and if you go all the way back into uh, the Old Testament, which I uh, unreservedly recommend you do whenever you can, even if you don't understand it, you go back there and this theme of God being the shepherd for his people is all over the place. And then Jesus picks up that imagery and refers to himself as the good shepherd. Right? And so you have these, these leaders, these overseers of the church of Ephesus that are carrying on in the tradition of God, in the tradition of Jesus, and they are providing for God's people. And towards the end of this passage, he says, I commit you, I give you to God. I, se I set you up. I, I plop you down in front of God's feet, so to speak. You're not mine. You, you belong to God. This is who you belong to. And then if you go again, read the letter of Ephesians, it makes really clear the apostle, the apostle Paul, he said himself, I was called by God. I didn't just show up one day out of my own merit and start like saying all these fantastic things. God called me to this. I wouldn't be here if it hasn't been for him. He sent me to the Gentiles. These Ephesians, they were Gentiles more than likely. Maybe not all of them, probably most of them. Paul said, God called me and sent me to you. So it reveals this eternal pattern of, of God's plan to include the Jews into the, his kingdom, to in, include the non-Jews into his kingdom. Anyway, there's several other things in there, but all of this kind of demonstrates that God's care is for these people. And it comes through Paul. This ancient truth, again, from the Old Testament, uh, book of Exodus especially, I will be your God and you shall be my people. Paul is, is carrying on in that, in that, that tradition. God is, is bringing that relationship into fulfillment through the person of Paul. So that those who are in Christ, even non-Jews, can be said to be God's people. Right? So, it's a very human situation, but I think underneath it is a deeper, deeper truth that Paul was the means by which God was providing for his people. If you're like me, Paul, uh, this is, hopefully you know what I mean when I say this. He seems intense, right? The guy's a little, he's a little much sometimes. Like, he's, I'm like, whoa, uh, he's got a lot to say. Uh, seems harsh, seems thorny sometimes. He, he's just like an intensely focused person. I'm a generalist. I can I can get interested in like garbage pickup. I I I, I can get interested in 
viruses, as I found out this year. I didn't know that was an interest of mine. So to focus so intensely on one thing is an interesting concept for me. But Paul is like that, I think. Um, I don't know. So it's hard for me, maybe it's hard for you to kind of relate to this relationship, first of all. And also to relate to Paul. You know, Paul is an intense guy. I'm not like that. I like to be home in my own house. Uh, so it's hard, it's hard to relate. So I was struggling, like I said, Band of Brothers is one, in, one way in, maybe another way in. The first thing that came to my mind when I was reading this is, and some of you may have heard of him, his name is it's about a missionary from the 1800s named John Patton. Um, maybe, you, maybe you haven't heard of him, maybe you have. I have the book, although I, I couldn't find it. Fortunately, the passage that I was looking for was online, so I found it easily enough. But it's hard for us to relate to this. So John Patton was an early missionary in the modern missionary movement. He's uh, Scottish. He went to a place called the New Hebrides Islands. This is him right here. Excellent. I didn't even have to cue the picture. Uh, you know, a stately-looking guy. Um, Scottish. Big beard. He'd be in fashion today. He went to this place called the New Hebrides Islands. There's a map on the next slide. It's actually now called Vanuatu. You can see it's these little islands out there, out there, right, by Australia. Fiji is not far from there. So it's literally the other side of the world from Scotland. Um, anyway, he went there. He uh, went there as, 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 a, as a married person. His, his wife died. He had a child that died. Uh, the island, at that time, they practiced cannibalism. Uh, people were like, you can't. You can't go there. Like they'll they'll eat you. Um, what do you th- what are you thinking? Uh, he just had a serious conviction about needing to to do this. Today, you know, read into it what you will. Eighty three percent of the nation of Vanuatu is identifies as Christian. Ninety um, percent of the church leaders there are indigenous people. Right, they're 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 people that grew up, lived in Vanuatu their whole lives. They're not from the outside. So this gospel work took root and blossomed in, no, in a very large part because of John Patton. There were a couple others, but he was largely responsible for this situation way back in, I think, 1858 is when he first went. All right, so what I'm going to do is, uh, I, I, I'm going to, no, no matter if, if, you're, if you're parents, if you're non-parents, if you're children, I mean, you, you're here, so you are children of someone. You have um, friends, church, church members. In some way, think about a relationship that like, you can relate to on this. Because it doesn't have to be this exact type of relationship. I'm going to read it to you. But just keep John Patton in mind. Keep this location in mind. Um, I'm going to read his account that he wrote 40 years after the fact when he uh, walked 40 miles from his home to the nearest town to catch a train. He was leaving home. Uh, he was going off to school in, in Glasgow, but he was leaving home. I think he saw his dad one other time, but this story is about his dad walking him. Anyway, I'm just going to read it. Uh, it just yeah, Again, f- it's a 40-mile walk. It's 40 years later, but this is still like the vibrancy of what he's writing. So just bear with me. I, I, I debated whether I should like have it up on the screen, but I figured you could just listen. My dear father walked with me the first six miles of the way. So again, we're trying to think about a a more approachable way to think about relationships. 
His counsels and tears and heavenly conversation on that parting journey are fresh in my heart as if he had been but yesterday, if it had been but yesterday. And tears are on my cheeks as freely now as then. Whenever memory steals me away to the scene. For the last half mile or so, we walked on together in almost unbroken silence. My father, as was often his custom, carrying hat in hand while his long flowing yellow hair streamed like a girl's down his shoulders. His lips kept moving in silent prayers for me, and his tears fell fast when our eyes met each other in looks for which all speech was vain. We halted on reaching the appointed parting place. He grasped my hand firmly for a minute in silence, and then solemnly and affectionately said, God bless you, my son. Your father's God prosper you and keep you from all evil. It goes on. Unable to say more, his lips kept moving in silent prayer. In tears, we embraced and parted. I ran off as fast as I could. So he's like 21, 22 at this point. And went about to turn a corner in the road where he would lose sight of me. I looked back and saw him still standing with head uncovered where I had left him gazing after me waving my hat in goodbye i rounded the corner and out of sight in instant but my heart was too full and sore to carry me further so i darted into the side of the road and wept for a time then rising up cautiously i climbed the dike to see if he had yet stood where i had left him and just at that moment i caught a glimpse of him climbing the dike and looking out for me He did not see me, and after he gazed eagerly in my direction for a while, he got down, set his face toward home, and began to return, his head still uncovered, and his heart, I felt sure, still rising in prayers for me. I watched through blinding tears till his form faded from my gaze, and then, hastening on my way, vowed deeply and oft, by the help of God, to live and act so as never to grieve or dishonor such a father and mother as he had given me. So I think that's really powerful. And even if we don't have any type of human relationships like that, I I think you can feel the richness of such a situation such a relationship and the power a relationship can have. So Patton's relationship with his father, the investment, the time, the prayers, the example that he set for him, it prepared the soil and it planted the seeds from which Patton's life bore fruit. This was God's grace and God's provision for John Patton. And in a similar way, God issued grace to the Ephesian church through Paul's time with them. The Ephesians must have felt similar about Paul as Patton did about his father. They didn't want to disappoint or grieve or dishonor him. They didn't want to betray all the investment that he made. So as we're thinking about this more locally, Missio Dei is a living thing, a living body, a living organism, a a person within which God's spirit resides. It needs care, it needs protection, it needs sustenance, 
It needs warning. It needs rebuke. It needs encouragement. And these things come through God's word, God's spirit, but also they come through God's people. Other Christians, church leaders, relationships. To experience God's grace, the joy, the richness, like what Patton had with his father, what the Ephesians had with Paul, we must be varying in varying capacity, meaningfully engaged in the life of our church. At the root of all things is God's grace and God's goodness. That grace and that goodness was purchased for us through Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection. But practically, the goodness flows and the grace flows through the very human and ordinary means, like a father praying for his son through tears. Or like Paul pouring himself out in the lives of this fledgling little church in this hostile world. And it comes from engagement, from developing relationships, from prayer, from gathering with others in our church community. And through these things, God cares for us. He cares for his church. And then finally, back to the passage. Listen to, I think you can feel and see the deep joy and the richness in this relationship of Paul and the Ephesians. When it says this, after he'd said all these things to them. He knelt down and he prayed with all of them. And there was a great deal of weeping by everyone. They embraced Paul and they kissed him, grieving most of all over his statement that they would never see his face again. And then they escorted him down to the ship. That's it. He's gone. Never see his face again. Let me pray. Lord, we know that there's pain and blessing to be seen in relationships. This relationship with Paul, John Patton's relationship with his with his father, in our human relationships, or even the, the longing for relationships that we don't have. There's pain, and sometimes there's blessing. Jesus, pain, sin, death, through that, blessings can flow to us. And so thank you for an ordinary life, which can be like this. Help us to see pain and blessing and balance, because it teaches us more.